Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Real Birth Podcast. This week my guest is Una, who shares two very different birth stories. Una planned home births for both her babies. She was transferred to hospital with her first daughter for suspected meconium, that's baby poo, in her waters. With her second daughter, she was admitted to the birth centre, as she had a rare antibody show up in her blood test during pregnancy. This meant that her baby may need additional care after her birth, so their plans understandably had to change. After a negative experience with her NHS appointment with her second pregnancy and being labelled high risk, Una hired an independent midwife, something she highly recommends. Her independent midwife worked hard to protect her from the pressure to be induced once she got to 40 weeks. Una lives in Penzance in Cornwall and I felt like I was on holiday for a moment while we were chatting and you will hear the seagulls overhead while we talk. I love this episode for many reasons, but I'm really thrilled that I can bring you a story of a mother who can explain what it's really like to hire an independent midwife and go outside of the NHS. This is something I am asked about now and again. I really hope you enjoy today's story. Here is Una to tell it. Oh, well, welcome, Una. Thank you so much for submitting your story and joining me on the podcast today. Before we go into your two birth stories, could you just tell me a little bit about you, who you are, where you're living and who's in your family? Um, yeah, um, I live in Penzance, which is uh, like very West Cornwall. And I live with my husband, Ollie, and we've got two daughters, Hebe, who is coming up to four, um, and Morag, who is about 20 months. How was the process of getting pregnant for you was that something quite intentional that you planned yeah uh, we we moved down here I moved down here a bit before Ollie I'm from Cornwall and moved back and sort of as soon as he moved here it was the first time we'd been living together and we I think he he said at our wedding that I'd said to him um I want to have a baby next year and I want to be married first <laughs> and <laughs> like right okay <laughs> so we yeah we moved down here and I think maybe we're trying to get pregnant for maybe three months or something but before that I'd had a coil for about 12 years or various ones um so it was unbelievably straightforward really do you remember the moment you found out you were pregnant absolutely yeah I think um so I worked with my best friend and just after new year she told she told me that she was pregnant which was like an absolute shock to me. I didn't know she did not been with her boyfriend long and it was a real surprise. And I remember having like just a feeling of total delight and shock and also the like, oh, but I want to be pregnant, which I know, you know, so many people trying to get pregnant feel and didn't know that at the time I was also pregnant. Wow. Um, and so a few days later, I mean, it's less than a week later, um, I remember doing a pregnancy test and bursting into tears, you know, running up and jumping on the bed. Yeah. And, you know, kind of immediately getting Ollie and we 
I think ran down to our friend's house and told them and all sort of leapt around in the kitchen just going oh my god (laughs) I can't (laughs) believe how this has panned out and I think it was like possibly like the happiest day of my life oh that's so Um, special going I can't believe that yeah we've kind of that this has happened really it wasn't wasn't something we ever talked about or or anything like that so it just felt like absolute luck yeah amazing and to have that experience at the same time as your friend must have been really lovely it it was so lovely I think that whole day we just went you know we went out together and had lunch and just felt like we had this like amazing secret and yeah it was just I think didn't stop beaming all day how was that first trimester did you have many symptoms or was it quite smooth um I threw up every day okay (laughs) it was pretty miserable I worked as a chef um and so well it's really seasonal so we were actually closed in January when I was first pregnant or maybe even like half of February as well but it was you know the workload is just completely different in the winter it was all the planning and stuff like that so that was a real relief because I I couldn't open the fridge without being sick you know I love food and I like really strong tasting food and I couldn't like eat garlic or anything um did that sickness just abate over time or did it go on for longer than you expected I think it was maybe just you know the classic like 13 weeks and then just suddenly I felt better you know just kind of woke up one morning went oh thank thank god God. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's possibly the only time in my life I've lost weight in the last one in the last 10 years or so where I think I lost a stone and a half of wow because I was just really sick so thinking about pregnancy and birth what were your ideas around birth what did you know about birth and did you have any kind of set ideas on what you wanted for your own birth experience I had very set ideas I've grown up the eldest of five siblings um, and my mum had her the ones I remember um, when I was 11 and then she had two more kids when I was 18 and 20 and so I kind of I grew up with all the baby books being around and my mum I guess is what you'd call quite a radical birther Um, she had me as a teenager and she was quite sort of not treated very kindly in the system as an uh, you know as a young woman with very strong ideas about what she wanted mm. um, which was totally you know hands-off she didn't want scans she didn't want so she ended up hiring a homeopathic midwife um, okay. she actually she went to see Michelle O'Don who was a friend of my grandmother's in London and he told her that there was a midwife in Penzance who was a male midwife who she then hired it was quite it wasn't as expensive as it is now I think. Mm. um and so she had me at home and had me in water which I think in the 80s was quite a especially for, yeah especially for a young mother as well to not be kind of swept in and coerced into this is what you do because we tell you how, yeah. how amazing to be so headstrong and know what her rights were that's amazing yeah so she just removed herself from the system went right I'm not going back to that doctor Mm. and that was my experience my brother was also born at home in water on the boat that we lived on that has been my Mm. what I've known about I guess um and when I was 11 I desperately wanted to be there when my sister was born um but I was away with my dad at that time Mm. but she had um free birth with my Mm. sister you know and all of us have been big babies all of us have been overdue it's kind of 
a lot of those things that maybe were scary were very normal mm. to me. So how did that process inform your choices when you were when you found out you were pregnant and kind of planning your birth? What did you want and not want? I guess I sort of, you know, I'd wanted to be pregnant. I wanted babies for forever. And I wanted to give birth at home and in water. And I would have been, you know, devastated to have a cesarean. I wanted to experience birth and I wasn't ever intending to have any kind of medicalization or sort of pain relief. Just I just wanted to kind of yeah, experience it. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't scared, which I think is probably quite a, a huge thing. Mm. Um, I was just really excited. You know, I kind of was excited about the process and I wanted to find people who were excited about it. And so I went to kind of lots of extra stuff and um, just, sort of, you know, totally surrounded myself in that birth mm. sort of world. I didn't enjoy being pregnant as much as I had hoped. Mm. <laughs> You know, there was a nice sort of bit in the middle. Yes. <laughs> when I got married and, and you know, felt like I was, you know, had a nice little bump, but wasn't uncomfortable. And then I quite quickly got really uncomfortable and really fed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did your birth story begin? And did labour start spontaneously? And how were those last couple of weeks? I I kind of I took maternity leave quite early because I knew I was like it's my last chance of time off mm. I think oh the last few weeks of my pregnancy I spent a lot of time with my friend and her new baby right um, so her she gave birth six weeks before me that was kind of like the biggest oxytocin boost I guess yeah yeah, it was just like cuddling this little baby that I absolutely adored and mm. um I think you know I think I, I cried yeah more when I met her baby than when I met my baby yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I sort of I can't I remember being uncomfortable and a bit fed up and then I had I'd always had a really big bump and then they wanted me to go to for extra growth scans mm. and I'd sort of laughed it off going well obviously there's no problem with my baby's growth because look at the size of me yes. they sort of thought that maybe the growth it was getting smaller and I, I you know all these kind of like well obviously the baby can't get smaller because that's not possible. And, mm. and then I remember, uh, I think maybe I was 41 weeks and my mum said, oh, it'll be a nice day out. We'll see the baby. We'll go and have the scan and see the baby. In that scan, I think they plotted her weight as being 11 and a half pounds. Crikey. Okay. And, um, and then obviously I got it laid on pretty thick. I had my mum with me, which was great because she's fierce. Had a consultant whose sort of first question was, so why why do you want to have a home birth and it was just sort of like oh I you know I can't be bothered to yeah you obviously don't like the idea of home births generally I can't you know I don't really it's like not it's like not your job to convince him that that's yeah a good good thing to do yeah I'm you know I'm gonna have I'm gonna try and have the baby at home and going okay well we're gonna go home now and I think I might be in labor anyway I kind of you know maybe had period pains and so you mentioned that you thought that maybe you were in labour at that point at 41 weeks. So did that day just kind of continue to become more intense? Yeah. How did, how did yeah, it progress so from there? I think we got home and, you know, my mum was maybe thinking about going and I was going, well, I think maybe, you know, something's happening. And 
And then I was going, oh, I'm getting back pain maybe every 10 minutes. Oh, okay, sort of. Mm. And, then, and my mum wrote everything down actually, and I probably should have had a look before, through that before I spoke to you. <laughs> but and and then I think I maybe I first used the word sort of contract. Oh, maybe I'm having contractions at sort of maybe five that evening, and it ramped up like quite quickly and quite intensely. And I remember by like eight o'clock, they were you know eight to ten minutes apart and like quite long and. I thought, wow, this is going really fast. And then, <laughs> you know, the I sort of tried to watch some telly and wasn't really interested in it. And it was quite fun for a bit. And then I was going, oh, actually, this is pretty intense. And I couldn't get comfortable and I couldn't rest in between contractions. I couldn't lie down in any position. Mm. And so, and that's like how the whole night went. And I was like, I can't lie down. I can't rest. I definitely can't sleep. Mm. And I think maybe all night they were sort of like six to 10 minutes apart and it just sort of felt like kind of torture and they were, you know, they were intense and uncomfortable. And well, had you had any contact with a home birthing midwifery team to come to you? Was that your plan? I don't, it wasn't a separate team then. I think okay. normal it is now. Yeah. When I was in labor, I think a midwife and a in that morning, came over and I remember the feeling of going oh I think we need to get the midwives and my mum trying to delay me but yeah all night my mum and my husband were both there my husband told me recently that I didn't ever consult him about having my mum there which I don't remember but oh wow (laughs) maybe Um, it was just like a given it's a given yeah (laughs) um and I it was kind of yeah I felt like she's given birth to five babies and it sounds like she really knows her stuff you know protective and and had that fierce kind of thing of I know that she would Mm. um, look after me but really sadly when I was pregnant her mum had died who I was Mm. incredibly close to and who I saw the day after I conceived my daughter wow and so I kind of felt like it was a sort of paths crossing and so we'd, and in that time, so she had died and then I'd got married and we, it had been, you know, quite a sort of difficult mm. time. And so my mum, I guess, came to the birth, bringing a lot of that stress. I think maybe mm. she'd had a car crash a few days before as well, quite a bad one. And so actually it wasn't really helpful mm. kind of where she was at but she was trying to delay me from calling the midwives kind of going, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be long and I don't know if you need them yet. And I think I did get in, we had to pool and I got in the pool and it was like the first time I could relax. Mm. I just thought, Oh God, why hadn't I been in here all night? But they came and I didn't like them. I didn't like them watching me. There was an extra student midwife and my house is kind of all, it's all one room so it wasn't kind of I ended up going upstairs and kind of not wanting to really be around them. Did they offer you vaginal examinations and things to check your dilation and how did you feel about that? I think maybe I had one from them and I, I remember just spending the whole time being really really frustrated that it was taking this long and that it wasn't enjoyable you know I kind of there was nothing here to enjoy. Mm. And, and I kept having this feeling of going, my friend had had her baby by now. 
this is not fair <laughs> yes okay. it's been it's been 15 hours of you know real back to that yeah yeah okay <laughs> this is this is getting a bit ridiculous now I think maybe at four o'clock ish they had a change of shift or a different midwife came and I instantly really liked her and I you know trusted her a lot more and I didn't mind speaking to her as the other ones I didn't really want to speak to them mm-hmm. she did a vaginal examination I can't remember what the numbers were but she offered to break my waters and I think at that point that wasn't something I'd ever really thought about doing or not doing but at that point I was just like I need this to speed up because actually I can't I can't do this for another Mm. night you've been at it for a long time and without any real opportunity to rest so So that was was maybe 24 hours then and I was like I'm I'm getting pretty fed up so she did break my waters and then and it was already it was kind of ramping up anyway it then ramped up a lot she had the pad that she broke my waters over and was kind of looking at it going I think there might be slight myconium in Mm -hmm. the water and I don't totally remember what she said but I think it was sort of maybe you know we don't have to go to hospital but I have to kind of tell you that you know we should go to hospital and I think she said if if you wanted to stay here I would call the other midwife now Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think I just burst into tears and my husband was sort of saying like you know we can stay here and my mum had had her fourth baby had myconium and she got ambulanced to hospital and she was going no you need to go to hospital okay so I was and so we did decide to go to hospital and I regret it massively Mm. um I just kind of felt like I mean there's lots of points really the breaking of the waters was the start of Mm interventions and maybe not necessary but also I can remember being in in that point and going I need something to happen now so perhaps you know that wasn't the worst part of it but I really regret going to hospital and I think maybe my midwife thought I might have the baby before the ambulance got there but the ambulance arrived really quickly the worst part of the whole experience was like the going to hospital Mm. Um, and it's maybe a 45 minute drive and it was and we had a a learner paramedic my sister is a paramedic so I need to be very kind (laughs) we had a a learner a learner driver and it's it kind of almost sounds like a comedy sketch of me getting wheeled down a really steep hill with our my neighbors are all sort of quite nosy friendly you know everyone knows everyone like them bumping me off the pavement at the bottom and my mum being really cross and not being on the trolley properly and then the only thing really I remember about the journey to hospital is that the driver sort of going should I put the lights on and the other the woman saying to him you can go in the bus lane (laughs) of it it was it was awful um Mm. and my mum came with me in the ambulance and my husband drove behind the car the ambulance in the car and I don't remember any of that really happening and afterwards I was just going that was that isn't how it should have been you know he Mm. should have been with me in the ambulance but I think it really took over um, of me being my mum's baby yeah and her wanting to look after me and so I think there was sort of you know a bit of conflict there Mm. 
which maybe at the time I wasn't really aware of. Were you using any kind of gas and air or anything at that point? Yeah, I had used it at home. It didn't really do anything great for me, but I did. It kind of helped me focus on my breathing. I think more than actually taking away the pain. It was kind of, you know, yeah. I felt like that's what its purpose was a bit. So, what happened when you arrived at hospital? We went upstairs to delivery suite. I think there's a rule, isn't there? That if you come by ambulance, you're not allowed into the birth centre. And the birth mm. centre is lovely. And like, if you drive yourself to hospital, you know, or get driven, you can go to the birth centre. Right. Like, there was nothing wrong with me. I'd had a totally, you know, straightforward pregnancy. There was no issues, but we had to go to the delivery suite. And we kind of went into the smallest room I've ever seen, where you kind of couldn't just about get around the edge of the bed, having to move. You know, when I want to go to the toilet, you're sort of having to move things out of the way to open the door to get into the toilet. And, you know, bright lights, pretty horrible. Mm. I wanted to be upright and standing up. And they really wanted me to get on the bed. Um, they wanted to do continuous monitoring and they couldn't get a reading with the bands, the, okay. the snaps sort of continually but that you know there had not ever been a worry about my baby at all at that point I think they asked to put um you know oh we'd just like to put a little clip on your baby's head and me and my mum both just spun around and shouted no <laughs> uh, I know what that is mm. but it's not a clip it's um, one of those things that really is so frustrating isn't it it's it's this kind of like really sweet language of oh mm. we're just going to put a little clip on your baby's head it's like no it it that pierces your baby's skin and yeah it's not there's nothing wrong there's you know at no point I think the myconium thing as well it was like super light like she's not even really sure if it is or isn't and but I remember them wanting me to get up on the bed and so I was sort of leaning over the bed um and I think yeah I arrived there at six and maybe I gave birth at maybe eight or half eight and I remember yeah as soon as she was born sort of her getting yeah passed up to me and she was covered in meconium sort of not just being a little bit in shock and also just like oh my god thank god that's over you know I didn't I'm quite a sort of tearful person and Mm -hmm. I didn't cry or I think my husband sobbed and it was just kind of like a bit of a blurry kind of don't quite know I guess you know it's almost like just what happened (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't remember, I remember the the contractions being painful, the giving birth part wasn't the painful bit. Mm. I remember that was kind of like relief. Okay. And so after she was born, I sort of remember, yeah, maybe holding her and trying to feed her. And I don't remember them asking me about the percent of the injection, but I think my midwife who'd come in with us had read my notes and I didn't want to have the injection for the center. So, you know, I'd thought about it, but I'd not looked into it loads, but I was just like, well, I don't, I don't need to. Why mm. would I need to? And I've sort of since found out that it's just like some midwives don't ever see a physiological yeah. center birth. Like it's so uncommon in hospitals and very quickly they were pressuring me to going oh well it's been you know a while you need to get up and get moving um I think oh they first of all actually cutting the cord they really were like okay well should we cut the cord and my husband kept going no not yet and then they'd sort of ask again well should we cut the cord now you're like no not yet 
you know we didn't really know why we didn't you know we wanted to her mm. to have the cords you know until it had gone white or yeah. but we feel like we really knew but it was just like pressure mm. straight away um and then with the injection they were kind they were going well it's been it's been a while it's been half an hour now so we half really an hour is nothing like in terms really. of physiological birth of a placenta like uh, you know you hear of anywhere between one and three hours like as long as somebody's not you know having a really difficult time and in pain and bleeding loads yeah I mean, I half an hour is nothing I wasn't bleeding I was just a bit kind of dazed and I was trying to feed her and then maybe it's like got to 40 minutes and they said right we really need to get this placenta out so why don't you hand your baby to your husband and um, you know get up and just see if you can just push it out and I was just sort of going I just sort of remember thinking well there's nothing to push against there's nothing mm. how do I push it out I didn't really sort of get what I was meant to do at that point so um, I did have the injection um, I wasn't in any kind of state I think to fight about it mm. and then I remember them pulling the placenta which I think they have to do and then I lost a phenomenal amount of blood. I had a debrief sort of afterwards and I was getting, you know, it's the midwife that I'd liked that came in is, you know, and they have to put traction on it when you mm. have an injection, that's what they do. Okay. But I don't know how much, what that's meant to be like, but I remember them pulling on it and going, God, this is, you know, unpleasant. This is really mm. not a nice experience. Um, and then it just felt like somebody had knocked over like a bottle of water and I right. was just like blood was just pouring out of me. Um, and then it was, you know, alarm bells and, you know, emergency theatre and you need to sign this form saying we can give you a hysterectomy. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is so, so traumatic. Um, I don't really remember. <laughs> But I think I said to my mum something like, um, you know, ask, ask Flo to feed my baby. <laughs> so I was just really worried that she wasn't going to get fed and I didn't want her to have formula. Mm. And I didn't, but I didn't, I don't know. And so I went into, so into theatre and <laughs> the consultant was the guy I'd seen the day before who'd asked me why I was having a home birth. And I was so annoyed <laughs> that it had gone wrong. And that he was, you know, I thought maybe he'd be feeling smug about it or, and he was so kind. Um, and he explained everything, but then I, you know, I was under general anaesthetic, so I don't really remember. I don't remember coming round or anything like that, but I was in a sort of private room. And apparently the first thing I was talking about was that I'd um, met Adrian Turner from Poldark a few days before I went to labour which I had nice <laughs> and I, there was a tv in the room and I was going I met him <laughs> <laughs> but that's where your brain went in times but of trouble what I was thinking about <laughs> I did have um my baby on me mm. um and then um, I was just awake and they were they were able to control the bleeding yeah so I had some retained placenta um, okay. which they removed um, and I think, and then that stops bleeding. Um, I lost two and a half liters of blood. Gosh, that is a big hemorrhage, isn't it? I think yeah. it's um, half, maybe just nearly half the blood in that you have. 
Yeah, how long did you stay in hospital after that? I stayed in for five or six days. Okay. Um, my HB, which is your sort of blood iron stores or iron levels, um, was 52, I think, or maybe 54, which is phenomenally low. Like, I think maybe you shouldn't really be able to walk kind of low. Um, and so I went down onto, you know, the, um, the ward afterwards and I had blood transfusions. I don't know if I had a blood transfusion in theatre. I'm imagining so, or maybe just... And I had ferritin transfusions, which is like an iron one, I think. Okay. And then I gave birth like, on the Friday night. And then I think on the Sunday, we thought maybe we'd be going home. And then the next day, maybe I think my levels went lower again. And I had another transfusion. And I remember thinking, I was going like, do I want a blood transfusion? Is that a thing I should be worried about? My mum-in-law's a nurse. And she just went, everyone would feel better with a blood transfusion. <laughs> She's like, it will, you know, you'll recover a lot quicker. It'll give you a lot more energy. Mm. Otherwise, your body has got to kind of use that energy to make the new blood. I was like, okay, great. I'll do that. Um, And then my daughter had jaundice in hospital. And so from it sort of going, yeah, I think we're going to go home. It then was like going, oh, actually, I'm quite ill. And she had to go under the blue lights, I think, for about 36 hours. It's a long time to be separated, isn't it? So it was next to me. They had a sort of you know, travel ones, but you have to wear the little masks and you can't kind of, they don't, or, you know, don't pick them up too much, try and keep them under there as long as possible. And I was trying to breastfeed. And I remember I had like extra support in there from a, you know, the breastfeeding person, because when you lose a lot of blood like that, quite often your milk doesn't come in, I think. Okay. And I didn't really know that. Um, And I wasn't, so I wasn't worried about it, which is maybe quite a good thing. Mm. And it did, you know, kind of breastfeeding did go quite smoothly and my milk did come in and Mm. it all happened without much trouble, which I'm so unbelievably grateful for. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, we did eventually come home. I mean, we could have visitors in hospital then, so it's pre-COVID. Yeah. Time ago, and so seems like madness. A visitor in a hospital the next day, my whole family <laughs> came in, and my dad, and my stepmom, and my stepdad, and all of them there at the same time, which doesn't happen very often. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I remember coming home and my friends coming over, and we had a bottle of champagne, and mm-hmm. um, and just being you know, it felt like I'd been through a war or something, you know, coming back home and just. But it actually went, you know, quite smoothly. I was quite tired because of the blood loss, but I wasn't totally, you know, exhausted. I still mm. had her in a sling and we lived by the sea and we'd sort of go out for a walk. And, you know, I didn't feel like I couldn't get up. I felt like alarmingly okay. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't feel really traumatized you know I guess by the by what had happened I I think the main concern was me going I know if I have other babies I'm going to be high risk forever now yes that happened to me mm-hmm. and I knew that immediately and I was just like oh great I'm gonna yeah. nothing's I'm you know I'm never nothing simple now is it after that kind of experience I yeah I I, I can relate to that feeling when did the process begin and when did those conversations start about having another baby? And I imagine in your mind, you're already thinking ahead, even maybe before that baby was, you know, real um, yeah. about your options. So, yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Me and my brother are just 
um, under two years apart. My husband and his brother were just under two years. And so we kind of, you know, that was just what we thought we would do. I kind of had to think about it. I make wedding cakes for a living. And so I had to think about, actually, it would be really good if I didn't have a baby in the summer. Yeah. (laughs) So then after that, I think I got pregnant immediately. And I remember finding out I was pregnant the night that they announced lockdown and texting my pregnant friends going when they're saying oh pregnant women have to stay at home for three months before they were saying everybody was staying at home for three months I think and going oh my god are you okay and Mm. and then I sort of went ah maybe I could be pregnant and did a pregnancy test and then I think text I'm not one I can't I don't keep secrets very well I think text them back immediately going oh I'm also pregnant Mm. (laughs) I've known for two minutes I think maybe I might have even told them before I told my husband (laughs) just kind of going oh god at that point so unknown you just don't know you don't know what your appointments are going to look like you don't you know and also you kind of think oh okay three months that's awful not thinking it could go on for any longer than that I remember thinking it will all be fine by the time I have my baby and I was thinking god my poor friends you know I had a lot of my school friends are down here and there's a group of four of us and we've now got nearly eight babies between us in five years and so we've got you know I remember going you know are you guys okay and how's it looking what's it mean for birth and things like that but going oh but that won't affect my birth and I was still breastfeeding so Hebe my daughter was 18 months old or something like that I think when I got pregnant and sort of being pregnant and sick and breastfeeding and having to stay at home was really hard work yes and I so I stopped breastfeeding maybe when I was two or three months you know two months pregnant Mm which was maybe yeah the same time I went to my first midwife appointment I said well I'm you know I'm pregnant I'm gonna try and have a home birth again you know I'm not asking for permission yeah that's what I'm gonna do and she said well we would be really scared to come out to you and I just sort of thought I don't want to deal with that actually (laughs) I don't want to deal with having scared midwives I want to be you know supported and and so I got the number for an independent midwife down here who I had met because she ran the positive birth movement meetings and so I'd gone to one of those when I was pregnant with Hebe with two doulas you know hypnobirthing teacher and her who was an independent midwife so I'd met them all and just it was like you know it's amazing I just got to ask Mm. all the questions that I wanted and um and I really liked her and she worked um as a bank midwife in the hospital and so when I was in there with Hebe, she recognised my name and that okay. I was planning to birth at home. Given that she was a, a bank midwife at the hospital, did that mean that if in the instance that you would have to be in hospital for a transfer or whatever reason, that she would have the right to continue care with you? Uh, yes. I don't know if that's a universal rule mm. or if it's, you know, on a particular basis, but Yes. I phoned her up and chatted to her and I was kind of going, do you do, you know, birth preparation courses or kind of do you, you know, can I book you for some meetings or things like that? And she just sort of said, I only do the full package, which is, you know, full antenatal, postnatal and birth care. Mm. Um, and I just went, you know, I thought, well, I can't afford that. So, mm. I mean, I, and I spoke to her and and ended up yeah talking to my husband talking to my mum and his mum and our mums 
agreed to pay for it for us that's so lovely we I think we contributed a bit mm. it's you know it's terrifyingly expensive I think mm. it was six thousand pounds yeah it maybe. seems to be about the rate is about six thousand yeah um I've never spent that much money on anything in my life you know I've never had that much money and I remember in the meetings one of the things she said to me was you know I can't guarantee you a home birth but it will be the best chance you have of having that you know that that was the reasoning that I said I said I want to have you so that I can have a home birth Mm. and realized that you know that wasn't the reason actually it's the care that Mm. you get and so throughout lockdown I had her coming to my house doing Mm. all my prenatal visits if I was at a friend's house in Falmouth you know half an hour away near her she'd come and do it there and this was sort of after that first bit of lockdown um so like I remember a few of my friends like you know heard my baby's heartbeat and just around when I was having those and it felt you know it was really really lovely and what was her what were her thoughts about the um the kind of high risk nature of a previous hemorrhage what were her thoughts about that what she said was that most people book her because they're high risk that's kind of what happens and so she's very experienced in high risk and so she's you know not scared and I was kind of get I wanted to know I was like well what happens if I have a hemorrhage at home I want to know exactly what happens she's like you know we might put a cannula in to your hand and cover it with a plaster or bandage so that if that happened we could get fluids into you really quickly or these are the things that help physiological third stage and help to stop bleeding and a lot of them are being at home and being you know all the oxytocin boosting boosting stuff which is you know not really hospital so she was unfazed which obviously gave me confidence I wanted I'm quite into data I like knowing what the numbers are I want to know you know what the likelihood of it happening is and what are the things that help prevent it and Mm. decided you know to try and have a physiological third stage again you know I talked about about it which I sort of regretted in some ways I had a sort of midwife I know being quite kind of I've seen people bleed at home in a kind of like I really hope you go to hospital yes thing which pissed me off also I guess a lot of my friends were quite fascinated with the idea of private midwife and yeah something you know we were all talking about and it was a really enjoyable amazing Mm. experience you know um appointments were two hours long she met my daughter she came to my home we you know you become friends with somebody and which is amazing and then you know that they're going to be the person yeah it's incredible how much that relationship with whoever walks in the room can just change the dynamic completely and shift how your birth goes and to have a different person walking in every few hours or whatever it is and I'd experienced that in my first birth where I had somebody that walked in and I didn't like them and might not have been something they'd done you know I just was like I don't you know we don't don't know them don't know. You don't, don't know them you don't trust them so it's natural for your primitive brain to go nope mm. and it must have been quite nice having those appointments walking in knowing that you're not going to be barraged with oh we really recommend you do this or we're, we're worried about these risks you know this, this that's not your independent midwife's agenda yeah. yeah there's no pressure there's just information um and I saw there's an independent midwife I follow on Instagram called Deb Sneger Mm. And she said someone described her care as kind of being all about personality um, without the 
pushing of this is what we want you to do and mm. hospital care kind of being void of personality but being very pushy but it's giving it's just giving you the respect that here's the information we trust that you are an educated adult who can make a decision about what to do with that information absolutely yeah which is yeah. what I wanted relatively plain sailing I found out that time that I was having another girl and I hadn't found out the first time I don't know why I just sort of felt you know nice yeah. and obviously having, I did have to go to those appointments by myself and I remember being there and I just stopped <laughs> When I just, I don't know why, that I, it was something I knew about her, you know, it's a girl and yeah. And, but obviously I, the, you know, the sonographers were so unfriendly and you couldn't film it and you couldn't have your phone on. And it was just, it was just so rubbish. Yeah. And at that time, Cornwall had incredibly low cases of COVID and yet we had like the tightest maternity restrictions. I remember going yeah, into the later bits of my pregnancy and when I was about 37 weeks pregnant um, I had like a a routine blood test maybe and it showed that I had antibodies in my blood okay which are quite rare so it's kind of like when you're rhesus positive and negative yes but there are different antibodies and there are maybe 200 different antibodies or more they were maybe getting higher or they were, you know, they'd maybe always been there. They'd been at an undetectable level, but now they were increasing. So it was suddenly a kind of going, I don't know. I've never heard. This is not something I've read about. Yeah. Um, manically trying to read stuff. Um, my midwife going, this is like a blood specialist situation. It's, she said, you know, she knows what it is. She's not cared maybe for somebody with it before, or maybe only once of just having no idea how serious this was. Oh, well, I've looked it up and it, it can be fatal. It can kill the baby, but also it can make the baby severely anemic while it's in the womb. Okay. Um, you can have blood transfusions. The baby can need blood transfusions while they're still growing. And I was just going, I, you know, how do I find out where I'm at? I need, I want data, I want numbers, mm. I want understand what's going on here and how badly have I got it or Mm. I also had Crohn's I also have Crohn's disease which I have quite mildly but I did have a flare-up at the beginning I think of Morag's pregnancy so I suddenly had all these (laughs) high-risk labels coming at me from all angles with the antibodies thing I wanted to speak to a blood specialist I couldn't speak to one we sort of got emails from somebody, even the the consultants at the hospital were going, yeah, this is not my area. This is a blood specialist situation, but I could never speak to the blood specialist and download the kind of the NHS guidance for that mm-hmm. particular thing. So my mum-in-law, who I said to you, I was a nurse, she was kind of getting in touch with her friends who were head of midwifery and she was quite worried. I was going, well, she's not somebody that's normally ever worried about things. I can't really remember what happened, but I think my levels were very low. Okay. So it was a kind of just continue as normal, but have weekly blood tests. And if they get really high, then we would perhaps induce or, you know, I don't know Mm. really something to do um that's really scary to just not have any information you'd think that even if it was something that was unknown to you that there would be somebody available to talk to you about it was it just that nobody had time to talk to you 
it's that it's so unusual that nobody knows there's 200 different antibodies and they all have different effects. Some are more serious or more common and they are dangerous at different levels. Mm. So the knowledge around it is so specific. So all we had was really an email from the blood specialist going, it's not concerning. Okay. So that was kind of <laughs> what we went on, which was then the guidance, the NHS guidance is induced at 37 weeks for all antibodies. But okay. I didn't want to do that. Getting induced was very low down, pretty well, pretty up there with cesareans of things. Mm. That I and so the the sort of the decision was, you know, Louise said, I think we should probably plan to have the baby in hospital. So, yeah, then then the concern was when the baby is born, we need to test her blood immediately to find out if it has mixed with my blood during birth, which is what you'd do in a rhesus sensitized pregnancy. Yeah. And I guess the issue with this is that there isn't an anti-D injection. So it's similar severity, mm. but no solution. So the, the concern is at some point during the labour and birth experience that your blood and the baby's blood have mixed and that she would have some kind of reaction to that, um, which can would, cause think, severe illness. So I think it would be the concern would be during the birth, if the yeah. blood had mixed during the pregnancy and it was sensitive and she was a different blood type, she mm-hmm. would die. Okay. So that hadn't happened. This is all, I mean, I feel kind of bad even saying some of this because I don't even, you know, I feel like some of it might not be totally right, but this was my... It's what you, it's the information you've been given, so... (laughs) ...understanding of it. So Louise said, I think we should have the baby in hospital, which was obviously devastating. This maybe was happening maybe when I was 35 weeks pregnant, so maybe at 37 Mm. weeks, it's like, I think we need to plan to be in hospital so that her blood can be tested immediately. Because if the blood, if it has mixed and she is a different, doesn't have these antibodies or whatever it is, she would have to have an exchange transfusion, which would be an intensive care where they take out all of the baby's blood and put in all new blood. That is, which is unbelievable. Insane. It's like and t- us- taking all the petrol out of a car when you put the wrong it sounds exactly stuff like in yeah. and that it can be fixed, but it's a bloody process. So yeah, I had loads of questions of going, well, okay, so if that happens, then what happens when they've had that? It's like, oh, it's it's not a super I'm not I don't think it's unusual, but it's a something that they do and it works, and then the baby is fine. It's not like a Mm. has long-term complications Mm. from it. So that was just a kind of incredible Wow, it's mind blowing. Yeah. At that point it kind of becomes, yeah, home birth is my thing that I want and actually Mm. of course if there's a risk that that would happen to my baby of course I would be in hospital but yeah totally devastating yeah there's you know there's knowing that you're doing the right thing for your baby and they're still feeling the grief for the thing that you wanted I went overdue and then I went really overdue then I remember friends asking me like well like how overdue will you go um (laughs) And me sort of thinking about it going, because I had always been the person kind of saying, you know, you don't have to get induced. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the law. You can, you, you know, can be as pregnant as you need to be for as long as you need <laughs> yeah. to be. 
And so then I got to 42 weeks and I didn't have any pressure because Louise was just protecting me from that, which my God, it was worth it just to have that. Mm. It just didn't, the stress didn't come to me. Mm. She was getting it in the neck from the consultants and I was having a lovely time. But she's protecting you from all of that. And yeah, that sounds like it's worth its weight in gold. (laughs) amazing and I got to I remember being 42 weeks pregnant and bouncing on a trampoline going come on (laughs) and the next day I spent at home sobbing going okay why am I doing this I could just get induced and then I'd have my baby am I doing this because I'm stubborn am I doing it because I've got to prove to a point to my -hmm. friends who I've banged on about this for so long and and I sort of had to really check with myself going I'm doing this because it's the best chance I have of a normal Mm. birth and I do not want to be induced you know I know what the statistics are I know you know Mm. that it's not going to be the type of birth that I want and then the next day I think I went into labor or I just had the kind of period pains the morning sort of going oh yeah maybe And then sort of, you know, all the worry about, oh, it's never, ever going to happen. I'm going to be pregnant forever. It's nearly Christmas. I don't want to have a baby over Christmas. My baby was meant to be born in November. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a consultant meeting with a very annoying consultant. But because I had Lou, she was allowed to come in with me. And I I remember feeling, I was like, this is so unfair Mm. that I'm allowed someone in with me when everyone else I know has to go to these appointments by themselves because of covid Mm. like this is it's so so unfair and the opportunity to pressure somebody into doing something when they're on their own is so so much higher isn't it because you've not got that buffer of somebody else going hang on a minute is that what you really want and I you know I'd had these meetings before with consultants and I'm like I know what they're for they're for them to try and pressure you into doing what they want which is to be induced and I'm a very strong person and I don't mind conflict and I'm you know quite straight talking and I couldn't do that by myself at 42 weeks pregnant when actually I just desperately want to have the baby (laughs) but because I had Lou there she was very careful with her words and I know that people don't get spoken to like that when they don't have somebody with a real authority with them and so they were kind of going well at what point would you get induced you know I said I was like maybe 43 weeks I'll think about it then or yeah okay you can book me in for some and and Louise had kind of given me a pep talk of going just pick a date you know give them something to put on their bit of paper you don't have to go they've got something that we want which is access to the birth center so you kind of having to play you know along with that um, and I think they say you're not allowed to use the birth center after 42 weeks and things like that as a kind of these blanket rules that don't mean anything mm. um, and then I think the consultant wanted to palpate and feel my baby and thought well maybe it might be breach and so like, oh yeah let's just add that to the <laughs> list of reasons why I can't do anything and there was this like fantastic tension where Lou said no the baby's not breach and she went, oh, well, you know, maybe I should get this guy, you know, and this kind of, and I <laughs> finding it all quite funny. You know, it's kind of two people who are very much on top of the top of their game. Yeah. And, 
oh she was just irritating and yeah I said yeah okay yeah 43 weeks I'll get induced then and but I think I might be in labor and and then I went out and had lunch with my husband and my daughter was at nursery and had like a really really nice day and came home was going yeah I think it's happening and my house was you know lovely and tidy and my daughter came back asleep and like just lay and cuddled me on the sofa for a bit and then my friend's partner came and picked her up and took her for a sleepover I you know I just remember like leaning over a birthing ball and had really nice music playing candles and just kind of everything that I hadn't had Mm. maybe the first time of just thinking oh this is you know it's enjoyable it's exciting it's you know, phoning Lou and her going up to the hospital and going, right, well, I'll go and get the pool running. And for five o'clock, it was kind of ramping up, maybe. Mm. And I had a contraction timer. And again, it's one of these things where I was like, I did it because I thought that's what you're meant to do. But my contractions were never a minute long. Mm. So I didn't really understand. I was like, you know, I feel like I don't know when to go to hospital. I've never done that before in a kind of knowing when I've got to leave and um I did amazing pregnancy yoga both times down here we've got like a amazing woman who's been doing it for 20 years and I was kind of doing you know breathing just I felt like totally in my I was able to be present a lot more and Mm -hmm. I felt like more in control just really calm and I could Mm -hmm. remember how to calm myself whereas I think my, in the first day I was you know quite panicked and it was there wasn't any of that calm and so we maybe decided to go to hospital maybe seven or eight and I leant over the seat the whole way and like just had the music on really really loud and I and then we got to hospital and just as we pulled up outside a friend of mine walked out the door and his partner was pregnant as well and I was like oh no way hi <laughs> oh my god so many having a baby as well and then you know sort of struggled to get up the lift and sort of had to just lean on a few walls and have contractions but I was I couldn't talk but I was still quite calm walked into the birth center and it's like a spa so has your Um, hospital got an alongside birth center so yes so that if you needed to you know if something very urgent happened you would yeah. just literally run across the corridor and you're in the hospital it's a corridor yeah that's fantastic so amazing and there are four rooms and it's very newly done up and it's all it's beautiful and low lighting and amazing pools and no beds and you know like the big sort of floor bed cushions and it's mm. huge I mean it must be like eight times the size of the room I go first to Hebeam. Is this this at Truro? Yeah. Yeah, I had another lady on actually who birthed um, in in that area and she was saying how great the Truro birth centre is supposed to be. It's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. And and it's great. Yeah, you go in, it's just like, ah. And I remember the difference so clearly of the first time going into that room and going, oh my god this is well and you tense like everything goes like that oh this is so relaxing (sighs) and I I still couldn't really talk and I I remember stood next to the pool and Louise going what essential oils would you like I don't I don't care (laughs) I don't care am I getting in yet (laughs) I'm being just like really short going I just I just want to get in now can I get in now 
clamber in you know yeah my contractions were never I was prepared for them to get worse and for it to mm. get harder and it didn't it was at a mat totally like manageable level and I got into the pool and I remember Ollie saying go and move the car because it's in the emergency or the you know no parking bit and I remember Lou going um I don't think you should go anywhere and that was kind of the first time I thought oh what is going to happen soon I sort mm-hmm. of felt like I had no idea where I was I didn't have any examinations I I think that's I, where it really helps when a midwife who really knows you and who knows yeah. your personality and when things have changed for you to go okay yeah. this is this is close yeah time is difficult to sort of describe but I remember remember Lou asking me going are you having a contraction and me sort of going you know just sort of making lots of strange noises and then just feeling like it was being sick you know I wasn't doing it but like the heaving Mm -hmm. of my body pushing without me Mm -hmm. consciously doing that and then I'd sort of be able to talk a bit in the middle but I could feel her moving down and the strangest feeling was I could feel her turning mm. while she was coming down and going, oh, that is really uncomfortable or like that's a really horrible but kind of mm. weird feeling. And then in between contractions, sometimes I'd sort of be able to talk and I'd go, oh, is that hair? I think I said, is that my husband filmed it all? And so I go, is that hair or mucus? Or I could feel mm. her head, I think. There was a um, a mirror underneath me, so that with a, you know mirror and torch, so they could see what was going on. And my waters hadn't broken. Then I could feel her ears. It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and I was just totally lucid and kind of felt like I was fully there and experiencing it. And I don't feel like I pushed really. Um, and then she just, I sort of did a little lunge I was sort of leaning over and I did a little lunge forward or brought one of my legs up and she came out incredibly powerfully I think it wasn't like her head was born and then the rest of the body it was just sort of all in one go mm. um and she had like a little bit of the sack around her and so I kind of held her underwater and sort of pulled it off her head and and I just sort of held her underwater looking at her like just totally magical and then brought her out and sort of I can't really remember if she cried or I didn't cry I was just totally in awe my husband was sobbing <laughs> there's a theme here <laughs> Spotting, holding the phone filming and I just remember like just going that was amazing better than I could have ever imagined and yeah she was covered in vernix and and the water was amazing. And I hadn't got to experience that with Hebe. I'd really wanted to mm. give birth in water. And it was completely amazing. And I think I did get out quite quickly because obviously the blood loss was still a sort of, yeah. you know, a worry. So they just wanted to be aware of how much mm. that was. And I imagine so at that point, you know, it's fantastic. You've had this incredible hands-off birth, feeling great. Did you then kind of quite quickly shift to, oh, we need to check baby's blood and we need to just keep an eye on my blood loss? Um, I don't remember feeling like worried about it. I know, I think, I don't know how long it was, but I birthed placenta, you know, naturally and that was quite quickly fine. That's great. Then when her cord was cut, they they took her cord to test that. Oh, so um, they didn't need to do anything kind of invasive to her. They no. could take the cold blood. That's amazing. Yeah. 
and so we were just sort of we were just left you know on yeah. the big sort of phone beds and we sort of didn't really even know still was just quite dazed and didn't really know what to do and we just sort of you know and I fed her and I think she fed quite well I don't really remember and she cried a lot and I thought god that's so weird because he be was never a crier she was just such a happy chilled out mm. baby and um this baby that had just had like the most beautiful <laughs> birth just screamed and <laughs> um so I think we had like maybe a good hour before doing anything or washing mm. or you know didn't put a hat on her I remember Louis kind of thinks it's ridiculous putting hats on babies and you know now I think about it yeah it's completely ridiculous and we just yeah sat there and held her and I think I had her 40 minutes after we got to hospital That's wonderful. So it, was, it was all it was really quick and I remember thinking we should have got here earlier so I could have been in the pool for longer I could have enjoyed the <laughs> spa even enjoyed longer this <laughs> kind of well, that's amazing, um, though, because it sort of sounds like, you know, you had in part the home birth experience that you had wanted. You had created yeah. that for yourself. Yeah. And then actually the amount of time you had to spend in a medical setting was actually way shorter than you thought. Yeah. So, Somebody, you know, writing me a blog or something first going, you know, about the time I had a free birth in the hospital. And I kind of feel, you know, I had a totally undisturbed birth, which is what I wanted. And just yeah like so Mm. grateful and it's so rare at the moment it's kind of very very small numbers of people are having truly undisturbed births that don't require any sort of intervention at all Mm. so it's quite quite an achievement actually (laughs) you know that wasn't luck if I had not had her Mm. I would have been high risk times five and there's no way I would have been able to have the, have the chance to have that kind of birth. well it sounds like an amazing decision and great oh. for your family and what a what an amazing gift that your mums were able to give you because that that yeah. lasts forever that feeling of empowerment so oh that's incredible I think I the whole time thinking I could just do that again tomorrow yeah so I, I would do that that was enjoyable that was quite fun yeah. <laughs> oh how was your that kind of immediate postpartum period for you then kind of and how did it differ it was really hard yeah um, we went into lockdown in court in Cornwall we weren't in lockdown when she was born so I had like a week or so 10 days I went to the pub with her wow. <laughs> then after Christmas it was lockdown and I couldn't see anyone and it was winter and I had a toddler and he be you know has some quirks um she sort of you know, she runs away a lot we she has sort of some extra needs and and I remember that January just going this is miserable parks mm. were closed and so I couldn't go to a safe place where she could run around we don't have a garden we could you know and I was just going I don't how am I meant to breastfeed mm. and look after a toddler where I can't go anywhere can't see anybody um and it was really really hard Mm. Um, and I am just so livid with how Covid was handled Mm. you know when you close parks yeah whereas with PB it was a real joy I had friends around me Mm. I had an amazing year hanging out it's funny isn't it how those birth experiences are so opposing 
and the post part postnatal yeah. experiences are so opposing as well it's like one like an, a birth experience doesn't guarantee you know the the same kind of experience postnatally yeah. it's really interesting well thank thank you so much for sharing both your stories with me before we go is there anything that you would recommend to people I mean obviously it sounds like you would recommend an independent midwife I wish I could have that yeah um, I think then probably a doula that's I wish that I had had a doula the first time mm. I think maybe some of a lot of these the problems that I encountered may not have happened if I'd had that support mm. at the point where I had the option to stay at home or go to hospital read and I'd listen to podcasts and read and uh, watch videos of births of every sort of sort and you know listening to your podcast has given me some insights into angles that I I find it quite hard to think about why people do things when they're not what I would do yes yeah I might want to have a cesarean and I remember listening to one of the podcasts from a woman where she said she had sort of pretended to her friends that it hadn't Mm. been elective and I just you know my absolute heart broke for her and I just thought yeah I totally understand and so I think that's a good point is surrounding yourself with all types of different experience because then when you come to make a decision it's kind of you know it's authentically yours and but you also know that if you make a different decision that's okay too um to kind of not funnel yourself into one size fits all I think can be really helpful if things go on a different path to how you plan but yeah just support of somebody who's maybe not your partner I mean my husband was amazing Mm. he really he really was brilliant and supportive and but I think women need women around and a different dynamic as well to somebody that you're around all the time yeah, yeah. I, I would and I've met a lot of doulas I've, I went to a sort of um Ebony's birth gathering recently where yeah. there were lots of radical birth workers there and god I met so many people going I wish I'd had you I wish I'd had you you know it almost makes me want to have another baby <laughs> well you've got a good bank of people to recommend if anyone needs anyone then, I you? do do that a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh well, once again thank you so much for for your time and sharing your stories um it's so interesting to hear your perspective from like kind of the two different ways that your birth went so um yeah thank you so much really lovely to chat to you thank you una for sharing your stories with me Your birth stories are an example of how even with the best laid plans, circumstances can change and sometimes you have to learn to adapt. I love how much you were willing to invest in your births and I hope that people listening have enjoyed hearing about your experience of working with an independent midwife and now maybe know more about what they might expect from an independent versus an NHS service. If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode or you know someone who would benefit from hearing Una's story, please do share it with them. You can connect with me on Instagram, I'm Real Birth Podcast, on Facebook under The Real Birth Podcast, or you can email me and I'm lucy at realbirth.co.uk. You can also review the podcast, if you so choose, on Apple Podcasts. You can review me on Facebook um, and also on Audible, which I would so appreciate if you have the time and have found the podcast episodes helpful. That's all for this week. Thank you once again for listening. I will be back next Wednesday with the final episode of Series 2. Bye!